new um, sound system in Gaither. I was reading a little thing the other day that was an instruction to ministers about preaching. And they give you some questions that you're supposed to answer about your voice. Am I audible, too soft, too loud? Is my voice clear, muffled? Is my tone good, firm, wobbly, full? Thin, free, hard? Is my voice nasal or is it hoarse? Do I enunciate clearly? Do I vary the pace? Do I pause sufficiently? Do I gabble? Am I ponderously slow? <laughs> Do I vary the volume? Do I appear to patronize the congregation? Do I sound as if I mean what I say? Do I have the bishop's boom or the Sunday school droll? <laughs> so I don't know what I have this morning. I feel like a cat with a new flea collar. <laughs> If you'll uh, turn in the back of your hymn book to Selection 45. We'll read in unison the Beatitudes, Selection 45. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so men persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid. Nor do men light a lamp and put it under a bushel, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Amen. Many years ago, Frederick William IV of Prussia, a great king, visited one of his schools. He asked the school children in the classroom a question. He pointed to the stone in his ring, and he pointed to the flower in his lapel, and he pointed to a bird that flew by the window, and he asked the school children to which kingdom each of these belonged. 
Now you know that the school children were very bright and so one raised his hand and said that the stone belonged to the mineral kingdom. That another pointed to the flower and said the flower belongs to the vegetable kingdom. That another thought about the bird that had flown by and said that it belonged to the animal kingdom. And then the king pointed to himself and he said now to which kingdom do I belong? And if someone should ask you this question, to which kingdom do you belong? Would you say that you simply belong to the animal kingdom? That you're only an evoluted ape? Or would you say that there is something that has touched you from God and that through the new birth about which Jesus talked, you have been born again into the kingdom of God. A king rules over a domain. Who rules over you? There is where the rubber meets the road as far as happiness is concerned in life. Actually, the word happiness is not really a good translation. Of this beatitude, blessed is a far better word to be used. Because blessed has to do with not happenstance or chance, but it has to do with a condition that exists inside. Happiness may be like tinsel if it is the happiness of the world. In just a few weeks, people will begin to cut down little trees in the woods and bring them in and decorate them with little icicles that are made out of a tin foil, and other little things that are made out of glass. And they will last for a while, but then all of that fades away. But then if we take an apple tree, that tree is drawing out of the ground and living and will produce fruit. And Jesus wanted his followers who were born again by the Spirit of God to produce fruit in their lives. There is a catalog of those fruits of the Spirit that are listed for us in Galatians. And the person who has the mind of Christ will be the person who reflects adequately these things which our Lord Jesus has taught us from the Beatitudes, the attitudes that ought to be. Unhappily, in the United States, we have been brainwashed into a success cult perpetrated upon us by the media, which governs all of our lives and tells us that happiness comes out of things and materialism. But really, deep down in our souls, we know better than this. If you listen to the sick laughter that is often put on television, you notice that it is turned up just to laugh at the right time because most of the laughter is canned. It's not spontaneous. A few weeks ago, when Pope John Paul I died, he was reading the works of Thomas Akempis. He was reading a book called The Imitation of Christ. The principal idea advanced in that book is that the aim of the true Christian should be to imitate insofar as it is possible the model given to him in the person and in the life of Christ. To achieve this aim means to discover the spiritual, the inner life, 
to turn completely away from the affairs of the world. Now, he means by that the world which comes between us and God, the world's way of thinking, and our own outwardly, outwardly directed desires, humility, contrition, self-discipline. These are all in those first three Beatitudes. For those of you who were not here last week and for our friends who are listening on the radio who did not get to hear last week's broadcast, we spoke on the first of the Beatitudes. The first of the Beatitudes which Jesus had given was given when his disciples came to him and he taught this to his disciples first. Now, there were crowds of people that were undoubtedly listening out on the edges of where his disciples were. He took a position of authority. It said that when he was seated, this is important because we speak of the chair of philosophy and the chair of law and the chair of medicine, and we speak of these things because of the authority, and this was the Hebrew way of doing it. The rabbi sat and he spoke with authority. So Jesus sat and he spoke with authority to his disciples and to the crowds that were listening. I've often wondered at the voice of Jesus. What a tremendous set of lungs and voice he must have had for 5,000 people to hear him on a hillside. What great authority with which he spoke. And the golden blessed words that he speaks comes as such a shock to us because there's such a reversal of what the world would think of as happiness. The first of the Beatitudes of which we spoke last week is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the door into the kingdom of heaven. It is recognizing my need of God. We illustrated this from the life of one young monk by the name of Martin Luther who wanted God and wanted to be righteous with God and realized that righteousness could not be achieved in externals. And finally, through his search through the scriptures, found that there was a righteousness which came as a gift from God in response to faith that made him to be born again as a new creation in Christ Jesus. Those of us who grew up on a farm can appreciate the peasantry of Martin Luther. He said that when he looked at that verse from Romans 1, the just shall live by faith, and he realized that God would bring righteousness to him simply by having faith, which meant that he rested all himself in what God had done, Luther said that he looked at that verse and that he was like a cow staring at a new gate. Have you ever seen an old cow staring at a place where they put up a new fence or a gate? I guess maybe you didn't come up on a farm, but they, but they do that. Luther wondered and was astonished that something could be so simple as this, that here came the righteousness of God. But that, be, that was because he had become poor in spirit. He recognized his need of him. Often we are prone to think that the people who speak the most glibly are the people who are the most spiritual and nothing could be further from the truth. I can remember well my first pastorate after I was ordained was in Haywood County, North Carolina. 
in a little red tile church on a main corner in town on a snowy evening our session met. There was a wealthy industrialist present who was also a very godly man and a good man. There was a medical doctor present, one of the elders too. There was a man who painted houses for a living, one of our elders. There was another elder who was an automobile mechanic. Then there was another elder who had been a great singer from, on network radio. And I remember a baker who was also present. And we had a very grave problem to discuss. And someone proposed that each one of the members of the session uh, pray a sentence prayer asking God's blessing. And I remember so well the automobile mechanic flinched. I don't think I'd ever heard him say a word in public before. And I felt almost embarrassed as one person began to pray, and then another person began to pray, and then another person prayed, and then it came to the automobile mechanic. And when it came to him, he, he, you could hear his heart almost beating. There was a long, heavy sigh. And then he said, Oh, Lord, teach us how much we need you. And that's all he said. And I thought, what a magnificent prayer. He had given a beautiful expression to what Jesus was saying, and blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, there's a difference here. He's not saying blessed are the poor spirited. That is the people who blob along like an amoeba. Uh, he is not speaking of people who are dispirited, but he is speaking of people who are humble, who uh, accept themselves, recognize their limitations, and yet are willing to make the door open for God to fill that need. They empty themselves in order that God may fill that need. That beautiful, beautiful uh, hymn, which was played so exquisitely by Estelle Brousseau this morning, expresses it perfectly because it really comes from the incarnation. It comes from the second chapter of Philippians, from which we get our theme, the mind of Christ. Let that mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who gave up all these glories of heaven and came into this world to redeem us. And if we had the mind of Christ, we would get along with our husbands and our wives, with our children, with our colleagues around us, if we were willing to be submissive in this way. Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And these beatitudes bring you to that attitude that ought to be in your life. What great mental hygiene is here. This past week, I went over to Canuga, the Episcopal Conference Center, and I had a thrill that I've looked forward to and never dreamed that it would be mine. I got to shake hands and to meet Paul Tournier, the Swiss psychiatrist who is probably the most famous psychiatrist on the whole planet Earth. Paul Tournier, with his immense knowledge of the Bible and his immense knowledge of human nature, 
and his great insight into the workings of the mind. This sweet, humble man whose wife died four years ago, and as he spoke to a group of doctors and spoke to them about suffering and what God had taught him through this, you could see what benefits come to a humble person who is willing to submit to the mind of Christ and to let God unfold his own purposes and work them out in our day-by-day -day life. So happiness comes not to the rich or to the famous, not to the proud, but happiness comes to those true happiness, true bliss, comes to those who are reconciled to God. Now then we come today to our second beatitude. This is a very shocking beatitude. Blessed are they that mourn. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, said Jesus. What does it mean? Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Seems a strange, paradoxical thing. But if you look at a paradox, its consistency will come together later on. What is he speaking about mourning? Did Jesus ever mourn? Yes, he mourned. He not only emptied himself of the glory that was his with the Father before the world began and became man, but he came into this world and he mourned over the sins of the world. You see this when he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. And do we ever mourn over sin? Do we ever stop to think of the cruel injustices that exist in the world? And is there any mourning in our own heart, any revulsion for the injustice, unjust things that take place? A medical student told me the other day of a very brave young Christian medical student who risked his whole career when he was placed on a surgery rotation and went into an operating theater that had been posted as a routine hysterectomy and when he came into the operation he saw that an abortion was to be a part of it and no one had told him and it was an unnecessary thing. He promptly announced to the nurses, to the doctors who were present that he was walking out of the operating room that he would have nothing to do with murder. And he went outside, flung off his cap and his gown on the floor and walked away. Later, one of the chief surgeons came to him and said to him that he was right. He said, you should have been informed about what took place. And I apologize to you that I didn't take place. This precipitated a discussion with some Christian medical students and one of them, in speaking of the evils of easy abortion, said there is really an, el an elitist mentality that exists, that sex is so preoccupied the minds of people that they do not wish to bear a responsibility to it. And the little babies that could be born into the world are murdered by the millions in order that other people's pleasure might be carried out. He said it's a genocide against the poor, and it's wrong. 
He also said we have taken some positive action against it. That some of us are willing to forego a meal and put that money that would go to a meal to help to feed the hungry. He made me stop and think a little. We need to think more about that. He spoke of having read a biography of Mother Teresa, that marvelous Catholic sister out in Calcutta, whose total preoccupation is with how to put some flesh on the skeletons of little bodies that are born into the world in India. And how Mother Teresa is opposed to abortion, but looks upon these little creatures as infants or gifts of God. And that the world, with all of its great treasures, could do something about this. If we would turn the immense capabilities that our science throws into the destruction of the human race, into solving the problem of how to feed the human race, we would see something take place that would be beautiful and good. But the selfishness of man exists, and he needs to be born again. Jesus said, blessed are they that mourn. You can tell a lot about people by what they cry about and by what they laugh about. What do you laugh at on television? What do you cry about? The people who have been close to Christ sometimes don't laugh at the same things that the world laughs at. I can remember reading when I was a student at the University of Edinburgh. I had taken as my study the influence of North American evangelism on church life and social organizations in Great Britain. And I remember very well reading about a man by the name of Lord Shaftesbury. William Wilberforce. This tremendous person, when he was a young student at Harrow, one of the super exclusive prep schools of England, having come from a family of great wealth, born into aristocracy, as a young teenage boy, on the street one day, he saw some drunks reeling down the street, stumbling and singing lewd, immoral songs and pushing a wheelbarrow with a coffin in it, a crude coffin. The coffin hit a stone in the street the wheelbarrow hit a stone in the street and the coffin tumbled over and burst open and the corpse inside rolled onto the street and the drunken men fell down in laughter and laughed at the spectacle that had taken place. This sensitive young Christian teenager looked at this with revulsion and horror through tears what they laughed at, he wept at. And he determined that by the grace of God, he would do something about the poverty that existed in England. That he would do something about slavery that existed in England. And he did so.
He is the one who was chiefly responsible for the reform of the great labor reforms that existed in England. Lord Shaftesbury. It's well that we should remember his name. And he did it because of his faith in Jesus Christ. So there are implications that come to us there. And then there are tears that we must sometimes weep because of sins which we have committed. I think of Peter, who loved Jesus very much, and who on the night before Jesus was betrayed was warned by our Lord Jesus himself that all of them were going to be put upon by the enemy, and that he, Jesus, would be betrayed, and that they would all forsake him and flee, and Peter boasted, and he said this would never happen, that he would never go away from his Lord. And Jesus loved Peter, but he knew that he was impulsive and that he promised more with his lips than he was able to perform with his life. And he said, oh, Peter, before the cock crows in the morning, you will deny that you even know me. And you remember how it took place. How Peter, when they came to arrest Jesus, had at first put up a bold fight and had grabbed his sword and struck away at one of the servants of the high priest and slashed off his ear. And how Jesus healed the man's ear and turned to Peter and said, put your sword up, this is not the way my kingdom is advanced. Then Peter stays behind and follows at a distance and they go away into the courtyard of Caiaphas where Jesus has been arrested. And a fire is kindled and the serving maid looks at Peter and listens to his country Galilean accent and said, why, you're a Galilean, you must have been one of those with him. And Peter says, what are you talking about? He acts as though he does not hear. And then a little later, someone else sees him and says, why, I think I saw you with him in the garden. And Peter says, man, I know him not. And then the third time, someone saw him and positively identified him. And Peter reverted to the old coarse language that he used as a fisherman. And he cursed and swore with violent oaths of damnation. And he said, in effect, may I be damned if I have ever seen him. I know not the man. And then the bugler from the barnyard, the rooster, crowed. And we are told that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And he went out and wept bitterly. Teardrop. If you had caught those teardrops in a bottle and kept them, they're very precious teardrops. Because Jesus looked at one who was truly sorry for his sins, Judas went out and hanged himself in the madness of despair. But Peter knew that the Lord who loved him so much would forgive him. 
and later he was restored. There are tears, maybe some of you have denied your Lord by something that you've done, and you've wept tears of repentance over it. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. That means a changed mind and a changed heart, a changed way of looking at things. Jesus is speaking to you this morning, and he is saying, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. How shall they be comforted? They shall be comforted by the scriptures which speak of forgiveness. Come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am what? Meek and lowly in heart. And ye shall find, what? Rest. Rest unto your souls. Peace inside. When we have confessed our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The other night I couldn't sleep and someone had given me a copy of this book by Joan Windmill, No Longer Alone. I remember meeting her when she first came to America a lovely lady who came with her husband to our church, a British actress who had been converted to Christ. And in this book, right at the end of it, she tells of meeting a woman in prison who was the daughter of a missionary who had committed a terrible crime and despaired of any forgiveness at all. And Joan Windmill read to her, started to read to her from Scripture, 1 John 1, 9. If we are faithful to confess our sins, he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the girl stopped and said, I know the verse from memory. I memorized it as a child. It's no use. It's too late for me. And Joan Windmill pointed to the word all and said to her, but you're not reading the verse. It says he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all, all, all unrighteousness. And the girl looked dumbfounded, and she said, I've known that verse for years, but it's the first time that I ever realized in my life that it would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And she did embrace Christ, and she is still going on with Christ to this day. Why? Jesus offered up strong tears in the Garden of Gethsemane because he was to drink the cup of sin and to go to the cross. Now I want to close with a lovely old story that comes from England. In the days when Oliver Cromwell ruled over that land. He was Lord Protector and he was famous for being a stern disciplinarian. There was a young soldier whose name was Basil Underwood and Basil Underwood had been guilty, I believe, of falling asleep as a sentry on watch 
and so he had been condemned to die. He was sentenced by the judge, and the judge said at the sound of the curfew bell, Basil Underwood would die. There was a girl in that courtroom who, when she heard those words, her heart sank and tears filled her eyes. And she went out of the courtroom muttering, curfew must not ring tonight. She would not allow Basil Underwood to die because she loved him. She had pleaded with Cromwell, but it was no use. She ran down the street and found the village church and went up the ladder to the belfry tower and the old sexton when he came prompt to the minute reached over and caught hold of the bell rope but Bessie had leaped out and caught hold of the tongue of the bell and as the sexton pulled his heavy weight against the bell rope the bell swung to and fro but she clung to the tongue of the bell and would not allow it to ring. The sexton was deaf and he couldn't tell that the bell had not rung. And finally, when he had finished pulling on the bell and had let go of the rope, Bessie made her way with bleeding hands down the slimy ladder in the belfry, out of the church, and down the street to the scaffold where the curious crowd had gathered to watch Basil Underwood hang. And the poet tells us the story that she fell at Oliver Cromwell's feet. At her feet she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn, and her face, lately white with sorrow, glows with hope and courage now. At his feet she told her story, showed her hands all bruised and torn. And her face with the anguish she had worn touched his heart with sudden pity, lit his eyes with misty light. Go, your lover lives, cried Cromwell. Curfew shall not ring tonight. There was a day 2,000 years ago when another young man, because he mourned for the sins of the whole world, walked up a hill called Calvary. But curfew rang for him that day. And there was an earthquake, and darkness came over all of the earth. And the Son of God said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave his life for us. And God brought him back from the dead. And because he lives, you can face tomorrow. Because he lives, you can face God. And if you've never accepted him as your savior, you can give him as much of yourself as you know how to give to as much of him as you understand. And no matter what has brought to your heart 
sorrow. Earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. I want to invite you to accept Christ as your Savior if you've never accepted him. If you have accepted him, I want you to rededicate your life to him. I will be here at the front if any of you would like to speak to me. And now let us receive the benediction. Our Heavenly Father, the theme that we've had this morning is too big for any preacher. We need the greater ministry of the Holy Spirit to pick up all those passages of Scripture that teach us what we need to know. Help us to know that this blessed Bible is the book that understands us and that it contains all that we need to know by your spirits pressing it upon our hearts so that we may live with peace inside our soul. For those who have not accepted Christ, help them this day to know his great love and yield their lives to him. For those who have already accepted him, help them to have the mind of Christ and to show love toward those who are round about them. Forgive us all for the things which we have done which are unbecoming to Jesus. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.